Thank you, Anne, and good morning, everybody. Welcome again. Uh, for those who haven't met me, I'm Andrew. I'm the minister here at St. Mark's. Good to be with you as we continue our series, as Miriam said, on the book of Joshua today. And we're now in week two uh, of this series. Um, now, as a reminder, as we get into it, or for those who weren't here last week when we start, sorry, when we started, uh, Joshua is one of the uh, historical books in the Old Testament. So it tells um, part of the biblical story of the nation of Israel during the time when they were entering into the land of Canaan uh, to live there, as you might have picked up. And this is after the famous story of the Exodus from slavery in Egypt uh, and their time of wandering in the wilderness under the leadership of uh, Moses. And so Joshua, uh, whose book it is, is the leader who's led them um, to this time and brings them on their campaign to enter and to do battle and to inherit the promised land. Now, last week, as we began this series, I explained how I uh, interpret and apply these particular stories to a Christian congregation today. And we acknowledged uh, then that the content of the stories in the book of Joshua uh, are sometimes at odds with what we understand about the character of God as Christians um, and what Jesus' teaching um, has been. But that we still actually have this book given to us as part of Scripture to help us grow in our faith. So to remind you, um, in this series, when I'm going to talk about them, I'm primarily going to interpret the stories in Joshua as what we call allegories or symbols for us of various parts of our life as Christians. And they give us, I think, ways to put tangible images and, and characters onto the spiritual journey we have as followers of Jesus. And I think that particularly Joshua, as we go through it, can help us to understand um, Jesus' good news of the kingdom of God and how we participate in that kingdom today. So with that in mind, we come to our story today from Rahab, about Rahab. Now, if you read through the Old Testament, um, there are a number of stories that over the years people uh, tend to pick out as kind of classic Sunday school stories. Um, because of how vivid they are or colorful or interesting they tend to be. And you probably have a few in your mind already. So of course, uh, we have the story of Noah and the ark. I think that's like the highest ratio of Yes, it's appealing to kids because of the uh, animals, but really the message is pretty... <laughs> uh, what happened laughter? Okay, anyway, um, when, when everyone was destroyed by a flood. But anyway, we have Noah and the ark, uh, David and Goliath, people enjoy that, Jonah and the whale, Daniel in the lion's den, and perhaps the other stories you can call to mind are the ones that we get taught uh, when we're kids. And the story of Joshua and the city of Jericho is one of those. Um, that actual story about when they approach the city will be in about two weeks' time when we get there. Um, but we have the prologue to that story today, which is centred on the character of Rahab and her welcome of the Israelite spies on their reconnaissance mission into the land of Canaan. And so I'll just recap the story that we've heard first. Um, at this point in Joshua, uh, the people of Israel are still camped uh, outside the Promised Land, waiting to see how it is that they're going to enter into it. And so Joshua sends out these two spies to check out what's happening in, this, in the land and particularly in this major town of Jericho. And this is, if you've read earlier parts of the story, this is rem, uh, reminiscent of a mission that Joshua himself went on way back in Numbers chapter 13 to 14, we read this, when Israel first approached Canaan decades before. 
And Joshua himself, along with another man named Caleb, was one of only uh, two of a dozen spies on that mission who actually came back and believed that the people could enter into the land and successfully fight the armies there. And so that was a failure for Israel. And this is kind of now take two then of that story. We're going to try again. And so these two spies enter into Jericho and they go to the house of Rahab. Now, based on her occupation, um, her house is essentially probably a tavern or kind of pub in the town where people would gather uh, as travellers or spies in this case, if they want information to know about what's going on around the town. And as we'll see, it's on the edge of the city walls, so it's easy to get in and out of. But I've got to say, I think these guys are not very good spies um, because the king of Jericho somehow immediately knows that they're there and that they're spies, so they're kind of more Johnny English than James Bond, I think, in terms of their spy skills, anyway. Um, anyway, this is when Rahab then, of course, decides to hide them and to betray uh, her country, because she's heard about the Israelites and their previous victories, and she believes that they're going to be victorious when they arrive in Jericho with God's help. And she wants from them a promise that if she helps them now, she and her family will be spared when they get there. And the spies give her their promise and, they, and she lets them out down a window on a rope outside the city wall so they can get away. And they say that if she leads, leaves this scarlet cord in the window, then it'll be a sign that will keep her safe when the Israelite army approaches. And so that's where the reading that we've had leaves off today. And we, of course, get um, a sequel to Rahab's story after the fall of Jericho in the end of chapter 6, uh, where we see that they did keep the promise that they made to her and she and her family join and live with the Israelites uh, from then on. Now, I want us now then to open up this story about Rahab, see how it develops in the Bible, and um, the interesting resonance, I think, that it has for us in light of our own experience of Jesus uh, and of his kingdom. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, in the context that it's in, in Joshua, the story of Rahab is firstly, um, it's an affirmation for those who read this story about the purpose and the strength of the Lord and his faithfulness to his promises. So the idea is that even a Canaanite woman like Rahab is able to see what God does for his people and she's keen uh, to join them. And I think it's also meant to be a reminder for those who read that, it, that the entry into the promised land is firstly a spiritual act. It's not just about ethnic groups at war over territory. It's about people's acceptance of God, whoever they are. Now, Rahab later becomes quite significant, um, a character in the Bible beyond this particular story, uh, as a kind of symbol of this radical acceptance and faith in God. Uh, and I believe this is because Rahab herself as a character, as a person, um, comes from the kind of extreme margins of, of society and she's incorporated from that position into the centre of the story of the kingdom. So Rahab has many kind of inherent social and cultural disadvantages that she brings to this story. Sociologists will talk about the idea of intersectionality, you may have heard that, and that's when different types of disadvantage come together in the same person. And Rahab has at least three of these um, things. So Rahab is a woman, she's a prostitute, and she's a Canaanite. So every one of those characteristics take her further away from being the kind of person that you would naturally expect to be a hero of this ancient story of God's victory and his kingdom coming in. But she's there. And so Rahab, I think, therefore, for us, is a, is a symbolic person then. She represents God's grace and the radical faith that allows someone to enter into the kingdom of God, whoever they are and whatever disadvantages they have. 
So in the New Testament, um, when we get there, Rahab is actually mentioned three times. So she actually turns up right at the beginning in the very first chapter of the New Testament, so in Matthew chapter 1, in the genealogy of Jesus. And Rahab is listed in that chapter as being one of the ancestors of Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. So we hear that she was the mother of Boaz, who's one of the heroes of the book of Ruth, which is a later book after the book of Joshua. And therefore, Rahab is actually recorded in this genealogy as being the great-grandmother of King David. And the point of this, I think, this inclusion is to remind us that Rahab has come from her fringe position. She was a female Canaanite prostitute, and she's come from that not just into Israel itself, into its people, but into the family line of the Messiah himself. And this is a radical demonstration of grace and acceptance by God for Rahab in light of her faith. Uh, she's also mentioned, as you can see, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, as one of the heroes of faith in the Old Testament. And finally, in the letter of James, chapter 2, verse 25, he gives her there as an example, again, of faith that shows itself to be real through actual action. So Rahab showed that she had faith in God by helping the spies escape and trusting that they would be rewarded. So I think what Rahab does then for us is to help us to see what faith actually is and how faith relates to our experience of the kingdom of God. And those of us who want to enter into or inherit the kingdom of God in our lives, I think we're shown we need to be like Rahab. And her story shows some of the realities and difficulties that we have with that necessary kind of faith. So I want to think more about the kingdom of God and about faith and what this teaches us. Um, I find that as I go through and interpreting these stories about Joshua, it makes me again and again define clearly for myself what I mean when I talk about the kingdom of God and what the Bible teaches about it. So, as I've said earlier, I equate the kingdom of God to what the promised land was for the people of Israel. And for them, the promised land was really not just a piece of real estate, a place they were going to live. It was essentially the idea or the hope of a home for God's people that they would be able to live in harmony with God and to receive his blessings. That's what it meant for them to enter the land. Now, of course, then for Christians today, the promised land or is not a place, it's not a location, but it's the experience of living in harmony with God's reality wherever we are. That's what it means for us to enter into the kingdom, to the promised land, and that's what we call the kingdom of God, to live with God in our lives. And Jesus taught us that the kingdom of God is actually all around us and actually inside us as well. But I think there are two problems that, we come, that come to us when we actually are hoping to experience this kingdom in a tangible way. And the fundamental problem that we have with the kingdom of God, I think, is that it is an invisible reality. So the kingdom of God, as Jesus preached it, is essentially made up of ideas or spiritual principles, spiritual realities, things like love, joy, peace, justice, freedom. These are not physical things, are they? But they're real, and I think, in fact, they're more real than the material world we see around us. But if we want to perceive those things, if we want to perceive the kingdom of God and say, there it is, it needs somehow to be manifested in the world around us. Love needs to be manifested, peace needs to be, freedom, justice. The kingdom of God needs to be manifested through human beings who express those principles through our words and through our actions in the world 
that show that it's real. So that's the first problem we have with the kingdom. Where do we see it and how do we see it? An invisible thing. The second problem with experiencing the kingdom of God is that because of the nature of Jesus' kingdom, it actually enters into our world in a quite gentle and indirect manner, not through force or through violence. Because it's clear you cannot manifest love, joy, peace, and freedom through violence. It's not possible. And so that's because that's how human political kingdoms manifest themselves and spread themselves in the world. And this is a fundamental problem that with how we might read the book of Joshua. That's why I talked about this. And it's a mistake that Christians have often made and continue to make to this day. In the book of Joshua, the Israelites did enter the promised land and establish their kingdom through violence. But to the extent that they did so, however, as far as I can see, it wasn't and couldn't be the kingdom of God as Jesus preached it. It may have been a nation that with some respects had good things about it, but it was not the kingdom of God, the nation of Israel. And all the Christian empires, so-called, that have existed in the past 2,000 years, similarly, cannot be expressing the kingdom of God to the extent that their empire was won through violence. Um, and that's what, I think this is what Rahab shows us, is what is the actual way that the kingdom of God comes into the world. So whatever, has, whatever Joshua and his armies were doing or were about to do, the kingdom of God actually enters Canaan quietly and vulnerably with these two spies who need to be hidden. And Rahab welcomes it in through her faith and therefore is joined with God's people. And the point of this is that Rahab shows us that the kingdom of God is manifested in people's lives through acceptance of faith in God and that their acceptance allows it to become real in their lives and have tangible results around them. And this happens before they have even seen it, but because they believe in its reality and they hope to see it become real for them, as Rahab did. As I said, Rahab is mentioned in the letter to the Hebrews as a hero of faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is defined this way. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And I think this helps us today as we look at Rahab because it helps us understand what faith actually is and how we have faith. Um, because of our cultural background, I think most Australians define or understand faith as believing certain ideas about God or about the world to be true. It's an intellectual thing. My faith is what I believe. But as Hebrews says, and Rahab, I think, exemplifies for us, faith is actually far more active than that in its, in its um, content. It's, faith is actually more of a gateway, a kind of actually something in our heart that we open up in our lives to accept and allow the reality of the kingdom of God to work through us. It's confidence in what's coming. Faith takes the invisible kingdom what Jesus preached and brings it into the visible world through action that show that we believe it to be real. Um, and when the kingdom comes into our world, it does come in power and it does change things and it does transform the world. And there is resistance to that happening which needs to be overcome. And that's where I think the next story about Jericho actually shows us how to understand that resistance. So I think, though, if we understand who Rahab was and what it meant for her to trust in the God of Israel and to commit her life to him, we can understand ourselves then and our own position with respect to Jesus and his kingdom. 
the kingdom of God is real. It is supremely real. It is all around us. It is in us. But it is often hidden like those pairs of pair of spies under the stalks of flax on Rahab's roof. It can't be seen. And faith is saying, despite that hiddenness, I believe it to be real and I'm going to take action and the risk to realise that in my life and to make it real so that it can be seen in the world. Um, one of the things that almost everyone who reads the gospel stories notices is that Jesus was far more popular among people like Rahab um, than among conventionally religious or respectable people of the time. So prostitutes, tax collectors, um, an outcast people, or just simple people, poor people, they were his natural audience. And the story of Rahab, I think, is a reminder of why that's the case. People who have less investment in the world as it is, who are on the out of it, on the fringe, are often more open to the world as it could be and should be, to having faith in the kingdom of God and seeking after it. They've seen something better. And the symbol of that, I think, stays with us in our reminders as a church, and you'll see, as the cross of Jesus. Because this, the cross is for us a symbol of this vulnerability. It's a rejection by the powers of the world of who God was. And it's an embrace of the reality of the kingdom of God through suffering and through people who had nothing. Um, it shows that through this sacrifice, the love and giving of yourself as Jesus did, that's how you receive the blessing of God's kingdom in your life. That's how you change. Um, Christian commentators on Joshua have often drawn parallels between the scarlet cord of Rahab that she leaves in her window and the blood of Jesus, um, which marks out those people who have welcomed God's kingdom into their heart through faith, as the scarlet cord marked out Rahab and her family. Um, the Apostle Paul speaks about this idea, for instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, about himself and the other early Christians. And so let me read to you from verses 1 to 10 of that. Verses 9 to 10 are on the screen, and I'll get there. But this is what Paul says to the Corinthians. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it, has written, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived... These things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Now, it's a long reading, but it expresses exactly, I think, what Rahab is trying to tell us about the kind of people who understand what the kingdom of God is, who receive it through faith and understand what God has in store for us. So the kingdom of God and what it can be and what it will be is revealed to those like Rahab who believe it and accept it, even despite appearances to the contrary, and who live on that basis. They will see the kingdom when it comes. So our challenge today from Rahab, I think, is to know what does faith mean to us? Whether we share the hope that she had that the kingdom was going to come into her life and her family's life 
and it was worth waiting for. And whether we share the hope that she had and her willingness to stake her future and the future of her family on the promises of God's kingdom. So are we leaving out our scarlet cord, you know, as a welcome of what God is doing in the world around us? And are we waiting for it? And an invitation for him to do those things through us as well and to make his kingdom visible and to give hope to others that he's coming in. That's the challenge that Rahab brings us today. So I'm going to say a prayer, then we're going to sing and think more about how we follow God on this journey and the kingdom come. Let me pray for us today. thank you Lord that the promise is that your kingdom is coming and will come in fact is already here and that those who receive it by faith will take hold of it through confidence and it will become real in their lives and in the lives of those they meet we pray that this would be true for all of us that we would see you at work in our lives and that we would be one of those like those heroes of faith who saw the kingdom coming and hoped for it as Rahab did and we pray that her example would remind us of your radical grace and acceptance of all, and that it is through faith that we enter into your presence. So we pray for you to stir that up in our hearts today. In Jesus' name.